Boy, oh boy, have I got an amazing guest for you today. Welcome to The Road to Seven. My name is Sheila Cummins, and I love nothing more than supporting women entrepreneurs just like you to shift into action so you launch, grow, and scale your business. And on the podcast today, we have a woman who I have admired for years. Vicki Saunders is an entrepreneur, award-winning mentor, advisor to the next generation of change makers, and leading advocate for entrepreneurship as a way of creating positive transformation in the world. Vicki is founder of Radical Generosity and SheEO, a global community of radically generous women supporting women-led ventures working on the world's to-do list. Vicky has co-founded and run ventures in Europe, Toronto, and Silicon Valley, and taken a company public on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Vicky was named one of the 100 most influential leaders of 2015 from EBW, Empowering a Billion Women. Vicky was selected as a global leader for tomorrow by the World Economic Forum. On our episode today, Vicky and I sit down and talk about the state of women-owned businesses. And we discuss what are the elements that make a woman-owned business survive, particularly in a time of crisis. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Welcome to the Road to Seven podcast, guiding and supporting entrepreneurs along their road to seven figures and beyond. Here's your host, Sheila Cummins. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this very, very special episode of the Thrive Guide for Women Entrepreneurs. I have an incredibly special guest. This is a woman who I have been looking up to for years now as she's been building the CEO brand, the CEO empire. I love what she stands for. I love how she serves. And today I am so thrilled to introduce you to Vicki Saunders, the founder of CEO.com. Vicki, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. And I just maybe one quick thing, CEO.world. Dot world. Um, yeah, dot world. Yeah. Awesome. Got to build awesome. a new world. <laughs> right? But that's exactly what it is. And you yeah. know, I think you and I have some commonalities in that we both believe that women are a large part of our future. Absolutely. We are an equal player in the in the business game and we both support women that are doing great things in the world. Vicky, tell us a little bit about your journey. You CEO's not your first venture. You've had a couple of ventures. Tell us about the journey that led you to to CEO. Yeah, I would say that uh, CEO is a culmination of like many, many years of experimenting, trying to figure out how to create the conditions for uh, innovation uh, and for people to really thrive. I love business. Uh, I love uh, coming up with business models to solve challenges that we see around us. And since I was a, you know, quite young, like in my early 20s, I just felt like there was no place that I saw someone doing something that I would like to do my life throughout my life. Like there was just, there was no role model. Uh, and I also never really thought I would start my own company. Like being an entrepreneur was so not a cool thing when I was growing up. <laughs> it was like what you did if you couldn't get a job. It wasn't something that people talked about. And so I never really considered that to be a path for myself. But again, it's one of those natural things. If you don't see uh, what you feel is, you know, your path, you got to go create it yourself. And so I am now completely and totally unemployable by anyone ever. Uh, I've been an entrepreneur and really worked for myself for the last 30 years. And the path to CEO, I was in um, Prague, in the Czech Republic, uh, right after the wall fell down. And it completely changed my life. Before that, I was thinking of becoming an academic. And, you know, I applied to do my PhD. And 
it, it changed everything for me because one day there was a tank in people's country. You weren't free. And the next day, all the tanks drove away and everybody flipped a switch. And all of a sudden they were free. And I felt the same way. I was like, every conversation was now that I'm free, I'm going to do this. Now that I'm free, I'm going to do that. I'm like, oh my God, I'm free too. What am I going to do? And it just like really shifted things for me. And so uh, I've been kind of obsessed with this forever, which is like, how do you create the conditions for people to feel like they're actually free? Like they can do what they're here to do. And what does that environment look like? So I've kind of experimented for many, many years with lots of different approaches to that. I started with young people and, you know, created the first incubator and accelerator in Canada that went public in 2000. Um, and I did some startups in Silicon Valley, a bunch of other things in Canada, but everything was always around. How do you design that environment for people to really thrive? And now as CEO, I basically said, I don't think that our existing incubators, accelerators, structures, business model uh, really works for women or anybody, but particularly for women. And so if you were starting over again, how would you change it? And so CEO is, is like my experiment at how do you redesign venture capital and systems? So how, how does that, that work? work? <laughs> how does it look different for women? How does venture capitalism look yeah. different? How does yeah. Look and I think different? it's for everyone, but we started with women just because it was like so egregiously unfair and yes. unjust at the moment where about three to 4% of venture capital goes to women and we're not a niche market. We're literally 51% of the population globally. And so uh, there's just so many structural inequalities built into our existing systems that it's just like painful to watch. And so I sort of stepped back and thought, you know, where do people, what kind of environment do people thrive? And to me, it wasn't like stepping each of, over each other to win, like a winner takes all model that we have. It was more collaborative. And uh, I basically combined a ton of different things I saw out there as pieces of the puzzle. So we have a crowdfunding approach. So hundreds of women per country, come together, they contribute $1,100 each or $9,200 or $92 a month at, into a shared pool of capital. And then we all go online, the people that have committed uh, capital, and we vote. So one vote for each person. So we've disrupted the power dynamic there, not one, you know, one committee of people who are experts, quote unquote, making the decisions, everybody gets a voice. Uh, and we select companies that are working on the world's to-do list. So that's our criteria. They have to be majority woman-owned and woman-led and working on critical issues that matter. So we vote, and then those entrepreneurs get a 0% interest loan, which uh, feels very prescient. Now we started that five years ago, and now this is like 0% interest loans are actually a thing. <laughs> and it's paid back over five years. But the real magic sauce in all of this is that you, then those hundreds of women who have contributed capital are now on your team. We've voted for you. We're excited about what you're doing. We've picked you and said, this needs to exist in the world and we want to help amplify it. And uh, so we come with our expertise and our buying power and our networks and our influence to help you achieve your goals. Um, and then we're doing this country by country. So the goal is to build up this community of radically generous women who get behind great ideas that women have that are working on critical priorities and scale them up. So uh, we started five years ago, we funded 68 ventures to date, uh, with 5500 women being part of this community. And it's kind of like, on demand, what do you need to grow? And it's, yeah. for me, it's like the opposite of what I sort of see at Dragon's Den, which is, I have a big bank account, go prove to me that you're going to get me a big return on my money. Uh, and over to you individual culture, whereas ours is like sort of the opposite. It's like, wow, we love what you're doing. How can we help? We're putting in a bit of money, but all the other stuff that we're bringing is worth so much more than the money. 
So it's kind of, it's just disrupting that and turning it upside down. And then it just creates this like community of people who are like, oh, I voted for her. She's amazing. And look what she's doing and she's growing. And then I talk to my friends about it and then her business grows because I'm word of mouth amplifying. It's just a, a completely different approach. What are some of the challenges of building this kind of model that you've met, particularly within the confines of the Canadian banking mm-hmm. system and the Canadian economy? Uh, like everything, <laughs> every part of this, because it's such a mindset shift. You know, like at first, just imagine like five years ago, I was like, it's a 0% interest loan. And they're like, what do you mean? It's a 0% interest loan. Like, how are we capturing the value of our contribution towards those ventures? I'm like, we're not you're going to feel it in your heart and you're going to feel like you're making a difference and it's generosity. Huh? Okay. And then you're going to trust like a 14 year old to pick a company and give it the same weight as someone who's the CFO of the biggest bank in Canada. What, Mm -hmm. you know, like disrupting that power dynamic. So if you're an expert, like I'm supposed to be, you'd be like, wait a minute, that person over there doesn't know anything about business. And so there's a lot of models out there to show that collective intelligence is better than like expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've proven that out. Like, it's just incredible. I would have been wrong so many times about the companies I would have picked. <laughs> like, I think back to the first cohort, and I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe, you know, we picked that company. And then that company is now thriving and amazing. Right. And right. so we really don't know. We have no idea. When people come together and contribute what they've got, like all bets are off on what you think is is. Uh, going to work. So it was, it's mostly the mindset piece of having people be generous and contribute before receiving. Um, And then just a lot of different pieces. Like we, when the money is distributed amongst the ventures who are selected, they come together for a retreat and we turn it over to them. So the, the five companies that were picked in our first year, we put them in a room, we introduced them to each other. We created these beautiful, this beautiful environment for them to collaborate And then on the final day, we're like, over to you to divide up the money. There's $500,000 on the table. How should you distribute it? And in a traditional world, the experts would say, you're each getting 100 grand or there's one winner or whatever. And we decide who is deserving of whatever. In this case, we we said, we trust you, over to you. You divide up the money and we give them two rules. One is you can't give it all to one. So no winner takes all. And you can't divide it up evenly. Cause I know that that's what every woman that I know would do. <laughs> She's like, I love you. You're amazing. You know, and we'll all get a hundred thousand dollars and be best friends. Uh, part of the thing is you have to, you have to do the hard work of like, what is the highest and best use of this capital? And not every company needs the same amount. And so like there's endless numbers of things that we do differently. And uh, you know, I think the biggest mistake I made at the beginning was trying to explain everything to everybody instead of just go, just come. Just like go on a journey. You're not getting your money back anyway. That's what we decided. Just come and enjoy this and see what happens. Instead, I was like, no, I'm doing this because of this reason. And I'm doing this because of this reason. And it was just like too much for most people's brains. It was like, ah, this is so different. It's going to, I don't see how it can work. But I did a lot of putting imagine in the front of each sentence. Like, imagine if we did this, this might happen. And imagine if we did that. And now I don't have to say imagine anymore because I could just go here. This is what we funded. This is what we've supported. And here are some of the impact stories. What are some of the criteria that you notice are common throughout those companies that are funded that people are picking up on as, yes, they would be a good investment? What is making them sustainable? Well, so that, you know, one of our uh, first elements are, so we have this, the criteria of majority woman-owned and woman-led, and you also have to have revenue between 50K and $2 million. So you're already in market, having done a bit of this sort of heavy lifting to get a 
you know, a customer base started. And then we have this intangible thing, which is able to articulate how you're creating a better world. And so we didn't call it social entrepreneurship or social innovation, or, you know, we, we left it quite broad because there are so many different interpretations of that. uh, And we didn't want to put it in a box. And so what to me is most incredible about this, when I look at the 68 ventures that we funded to date, I'm like, this is actually what the economy would look like if women were writing checks, oh my God, it's so different, right? It's Mm -hmm. like rethinking education, new models for rethinking education, 21 toys. She had this insight, which was like, you can't actually learn most of the 21st century skills through textbooks. Like how do you learn failure through a textbook? Almost impossible. How do you learn empathy through a textbook? Uh, The best way to learn these skills is through experience. And so she uh, has created this series of toys. Alana Benari is the founder a series of toys that teach empathy. And as you go through and experience this, like it's just visceral, your understanding of what empathy really means. And somehow when women saw the video and heard the expression uh, in this very simple application form, which is only 10 questions, they were like, there's something here that sounds interesting. This sounds different to me. And that this sounds like what I'd like to see education look like. And then when you trust the intuition of hundreds of women to vote, they surface just fascinating things. And I've heard things over the years, uh, the Linker, for example, which is a, a mobility bike that you move with your feet that helps people who have lost some of their mobility stay active. Mm-hmm. When I first saw this, I'm like, this is fascinating. And then it, the layers of the onion started to peel of like how interesting this design was. But somehow in an instant, that sort of blink that Malcolm Gladwell talks about, there was something there you're like, that's cool. And I've heard activators say over the years, wow, I voted for you, but I never thought that this would actually work, <laughs> you know, which is crazy. And then you see this person execute on something that you you had a feeling should be in the world, but like there's probably a reason why it hasn't been or, you know, something. I don't know. It's So it's uh, the thing that's just been most surprising to me is that I think collectively we really do have the intuition, the sense of what we need to be creating, but we haven't designed mechanisms to allow that collective decision-making to emerge in the world. We only have this like old expert model, which has created a pretty broken kind of crappy world. It, it's, it's long gone. We were going to record this about two weeks ago, but you were underground helping your women and, yeah. and you know, rightfully so. Um, you said, like, I'm just, I'm jumping in, I'm putting out fires all over. What were some of the the pivots or the shifts that you've seen your the companies that you support make that is really helping them or me being yeah. beneficial during this crisis? I mean, literally, there's as many pivots as we have companies. It's been fascinating. So I think on the one hand, we we have selected ventures who are working on what we call the world's to-do list, sustainable development goals, top priorities. So therefore, pretty much all of them are essential. Right. So, you know, none of them are like things that aren't going to exist in the future, down. right? Yeah. I mean, they're that having that uh, kind of a framing and criteria is just a bit ahead of its time, really. And so all of our ventures are in that, but they've actually sort of, you know, gone even more in the direction of how do we do this? So I think like a couple of things that we've seen, Companies that, for example, a zero waste grocery store that has no containers. So that's, that is like an extremely important, you know, business of the future. But then what do we do if people are home and self-isolating? And so they had to move everything online and figure this approach out. And in our network, this is so crazy. One of our activators runs an agency, Interad, and they came to us and said, we'd like to help 
Nada, the grocery store, the zero waste grocery store from Vancouver, go online. Is that something we could contribute? And she's like, oh my God, this is amazing. So literally one of our activators came along and helped them create a Shopify store. Yeah. Uh, and then Shopify is one of our partners and we've been working with them around how to help uh, create more and more digital businesses. So it's just been fascinating to see like the need. And then because we're doing asks and gives regularly, we do these calls once a week in every market that we're in with ventures saying, here's what I need. And activators being able to say, oh, I know how to do that or I'll help you with that stepping forward to support. It's that community-based effort. So a lot of shift to digital is unnatural. Another one is Hannah um, from Common Good out of Calgary, lost 95% of her revenue in the first week. She does laundry services for restaurants with people that are uh, at risk of homelessness done. Uh, And so how do you pivot that? And so she stopped and, you know, part of the thing is, first of all, it's like, oh my God, I just lost all my revenue. Fear freak out. Uh-oh. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, breathe. What do you need to give yourself a moment to think through this and figure out what to do next? Because you have assets. It's just hard to think of them right now. So let's breathe. And so one of our ventures, like, what do you need? And she goes, I just need to make sure that the people that are at risk of being homeless that we've been hiring aren't homeless. Right. And how much would that cost? $10,000. Okay. Says one of the other ventures in our network, I'm going to loan you that money so that you can breathe through this month. Uh, like just incredible. And that happened on the very first day. And so she was able to breathe through that. And by the end of the week realized, oh, I have these delivery trucks. I could start doing this with food. I could redeploy people to be delivering meals and boom, pivoted her whole business within the first three days. So part of what's happening within our community and, and we're seeing in other places as well is the need to pivot also requires like a wee bit of stability, a virtual hug, a little bit of like mental health support as you like, you know, you immediately go into this like fear, sky's falling. Oh my God, what am I going to do? And then we put out this intention on one of our first calls. Someone said this out loud, which was amazing. What if we didn't lose any jobs in our community over the course of this? And what if none of the ventures went down? Like, what if we create that intention together? And I know in a parallel universe and other calls, people were like, extend your runway as much as possible fire as many people as possible so you can survive. We kind of went, no, how do we all do this together? We have everything we need in this community. How do we keep everyone in? And those are two like, you know, old world, new world business practices. And so I, I kind of feel like we're at this moment where really anything is possible. So what is the the best possibility you can imagine out of this? And then try and design, design for that as opposed to going back to what we did before and doubling down on an old model. I, I just, I don't want to live in that world. I don't think it was working for people before. I think we need to really rethink. Uh, and sometimes that's hard to do when you're stuck in a moment of like, uh-oh, scarcity, fear, losing jobs. Um, a lot of the women that are listening to this right now are essentially classified as a micro business. They would yeah. fall under the small business category, but we yeah. we run micro businesses in all scale of economies here. And many are sole proprietors. Many don't have employees. They have contractors. And we seem to have slipped through all of the holes of the Canadian government, absolutely every single thing. I'm one, I know 95% of my women don't qualify for anything. The banks are still, though they were being told, yeah, yeah, banks will give you a loan. They're not interested in investing with us. What do you think we should be doing right now? So uh, a few things. We've been in fairly regular conversation with the government around these policies and noticing what's falling through the cracks And, you know, it's my belief that we are on a fast track to universal basic income. 
some yep. kind of like crisis basis it can come we have to do something like that we just we've come at this from uh, I would say a fairly traditional way of looking at, first of all, it's massively unprecedented times, like well, kudos they, to the government for like, they have done amazing, unbelievable, like CRA, unbelievable. It's a Canadian revenue agency to get all this, all these checks out the door is just phenomenal. Yeah. And so, but like, again, we're using these tools of stimulus for an economy that we shut down. So of course it's not going to work. And it's a 12 week window. Um, and I just, I heard this crazy stat from Chris Rickett at the city of Toronto the other day that one in four people who had a job in Toronto have lost their job. And this is just the beginning, right? We're in the first 12 weeks of this whole thing. So uh, I think in the next layer, it's going to have to be, there's a blanket of coverage for people um, to get to universal basic income, whatever that the rules look like that should cover everybody. Like that has to be the next layer. And then we'll start to see what does that start to create in terms of shifting what we're doing with our time, how we're topping that up, where we're living, like just the the ripples are coming out from there. I think the other thing that's, you know, very painful uh, going through this process is just recognizing what we value and what we don't value, what we see and what we don't see. So uh, I have a friend who is an assistant deputy minister of finance like 20 years ago. And one of his insights was, in that role in government, he was only hearing from big business. Those are the only people coming near them to talk to them in government. And so all the policies were for those people who they were in conversation with. And there was there has never really been a sustained, advanced, deep dialogue with small business in the government. Yeah. There really hasn't been. And yeah. therefore, shockingly, you know, there are no policies that really work. Uh, or I mean, not no policies that work, but there are, uh, it's just not as on the radar. And what I I've seen happen in the past six weeks, which I'm really quite blown away by is, you know, there are 900 people on a call each morning with key people from finance, treasury, small business, all in a dialogue, sharing in stories to say, here's the reality that's out there. There's a new consultation process that didn't exist before. So I feel very positive about where that could potentially go. And I think part of the issue is like, we have to keep that sustained advocacy going to share these stories and share what's not working so that we actually do create the conditions for all of us to thrive um, and create this much better economic model for society and uh, super painful getting there. Right. Uh, so many people get left out, but what is starting to emerge is we're really starting to show what's behind the curtain that we haven't been able to see before. Yeah, I agree. And I think that it's, uh, I do, I agree with you that the CRA and the government's done an unbelievable job writing legislation in just a month and getting money into people's pockets. And like anything, there is still room to go. Yeah, well, I mean, if you look at, uh, I mean, I'm completely and totally in love with New Zealand. <laughs> uh, and what yes. just what just yes. is doing, it's just like, they're literally showing the path forward. Unreal. I just Unreal. saw, yeah, I just saw one this morning. They have a new, so they're just about to start opening and going from uh, level four to level three because they did such a brilliant job. And they're, they're putting up a series of uh, billboards across the country called Up and Running. Mm -hmm. And they're going to feature small businesses across the country that are up and running. So you can literally go to a website and type in your thing and your story, and they'll create billboards for you. Right. Oh, right. my God. <laughs> like, amazing, right? Sh shining a light on what we have happening locally. So, you know, I, I think by sort of taking one step in front of the other and figuring our way out and watching what's working in other places, we can really get to a, a much better approach. And then the, the challenge is just in the meantime for the micro businesses that are things are falling through the cracks is how can we get into community together 
How can we find the others uh, and collaborate so that we are are able to thrive? And so, you know, on one of our calls last night, uh, Mother's Day is coming up. And so one of our ventures is like, how do we create a CEO package where each of our ventures are part of this and put it out as, you know, like a, a Mother's Day gift or whatever. It's so hard to do this by yourself. So if you're one of the micro businesses that's feeling isolated, that's by yourself, and I know it's a hard thing to practice, but asking for help and finding other people who can help you is the path to where we're going. I keep, I feel so strongly right now that anything that is doing something alone is not the future. You have, we have to get in relationship and community with each other and, and build the muscle of asking and giving. I think that's beautiful. And I think if I take anything away from our conversation, that's one of the two points. The number one is actually there's three points. One is set that positive intention of what the outcome is that you want and then ask the question that's going to help you get there. And then the third is ask for help in order to get you where it is that you want to go. Summarize the whole thing. (laughs) Beautiful. Vicki, how can people learn more about CEO? How can they connect with you and your organization? So, yeah, so we're on all social channels. Uh, CEO.world is our website, uh, CEO underscore world on Twitter and Instagram. And we're all over LinkedIn. And I'm uh, at Vicky S on Twitter. Uh, and also on all the other platforms, connect with me on LinkedIn. You know, one of the things it's it's kind of a crazy time, but like being in a community like this uh, and being on these calls each week where everyone's practicing, you know, asking for help and giving. And we have an app that we created that's in real time. You can ask and give um, across this community. Being in some kind of community like this really does help you stay alive mentally, physically, you know, with your bank accounts as well, becoming each other's customers. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest actions you can take. Yeah, so you're welcome to join us and have a look. Oh, will do. Amazing. Vicki, thank you so much for your time today. And we look forward to continuing to support you and your endeavors. And thank you for everything you do for women in business. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me in. Thank you for listening to the Road to 7 podcast. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes so you don't miss an episode. To learn more, visit SheilaCummins.com for more support along your road to seven figures and beyond in your business. See you next time.